Productive Disruption is a podcast presented by Rhodes Branding, spotlighting bold and innovative ideas that have the ability to reshape K-12 education. If you're looking for actionable ideas about how to operate and innovate your school, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Productive Disruption. I'm your host, Molly Miguel-Gorsuch, and I'm the Director of Client Engagement at Rhodes Branding. Today, we're kicking off a two-part series with the Educator Perceptions and Insights Center, which I'm going to call EPIC from now on, with our guest, Dr. Brett Church. An associate professor of school leadership at Emporia State University, Brett is joining me today to discuss how he and his business partner, Dr. Luke Simmering, are bringing the industry standard practice of using data to drive retention strategies to the K-12 sector and why it's more important now than ever before. Brett, thanks so much for joining me today. You bet, Molly. I'm happy to do it. Awesome. So in a nutshell, what is EPIC? What is it that you do for schools? So EPIC is focused on measuring, understanding, and interpreting the voice of educators as they talk about their experience um, out in the school or K-12 public sector. Um, the what we try to do is identify what the factors are that are driving engagement and retention in school districts and at the state level as well as the local level, but also um, working to help those school districts to address the teacher shortage through identifying those key characteristics in their district. Gotcha. So it sounds like it's a very personalized approach and kind of what like what other industries are doing to maintain their own healthy workforce. Am I on the right track there? Yes, absolutely. And that's why the partnership that I have with Dr. Simmering is is very valuable to both of us because I come from that education background and he comes from, uh, he's an industrial organizational psychologist who he comes from other sectors in his background and it kind of helps us blend those two things together. So can you get, dive into that a little bit more? Like what are some of the actual things you do? So um, it really started with the Kansas Teacher Retention Initiative in our state of Kansas, uh, working together with some key partners. And those were organizations um, that are the Teachers Association, so the KNEA, USA Administrators of Kansas, which is the, obviously the Administrators Association, and then the Board Association, the Kansas Association of School Boards. And in working with them and them helping us communicate the value of this project, um, through joint press releases, et cetera, we were able to get 50% of educators in Kansas to take our survey and then to be able to leverage that information to not only help us at a state level, but start looking at district levels as well. And I know that in our conversations before, you've mentioned that the industries that are attracting and recruiting educators away from the field are actually using this exact type of strategy. Um, what what is it? What does it take to get that into K-12 right now? What are, what are some of the things you're seeing and doing? Well, there's a, I'd say there's three things that we really focused on. The first is um, helping educators understand that in a lot of cases, some of the sectors or professions that we're losing teachers to are using this type of data. Um, I was in a presentation recently where a school board member who's actually in corporate HR in their day job talked about having this type of data for over a decade in their work. And so the first thing we're trying to do is show that um, to school districts and in a lot of ways, make them aware that this is possible. 
The second is to really look at how we look at return on investment. So the cost of turnover and what it costs the district, and then being able to say, how do we make sure we're putting our investments to address that in the right places by using those analytics? And then I think the third piece is just creating um, an opportunity for districts to give voice to the educators by doing this type of approach. So educators feel heard, which I know we'll probably talk a little bit about later with regards to some of the key engagement things we learned in, in the work. Absolutely. And and you talked about um, saying that it's, it's an opportunity for districts to look at what their own people are saying, right? So if a district is thinking about leveraging this type of analysis, um, what kind of key factors are they looking at? Um, what, what do they need to be looking at as far as what that why they're staying or why they're leaving? Is that same across the board or is it is it very like specific? Well, that was actually one of the things that surprised us a little bit when we did the first Kansas teacher retention survey. And that was while we could look at the state level, which is where we started, and we see we saw some very clear drivers. As we looked at the variance in the data by district, what we found was there was much more variance by district at that level. And so we understand that districts have unique drivers. And when I talk about drivers, I'm talking about statistical drivers of engagement and retention. So the idea of what are the factors at a school district level that are really at the at the point of decision-making in your teachers to determine whether or not they're going to stay or leave, whether that be leave the profession, go to another district, what is really at the key decision points when they make those decisions. And what we found was that in working with some districts, what we found was, as an example, there was a district that was looking at the state data. And one of the key areas there was the ability to secure a substitute. So they were thinking about increasing their substitute pay daily rate. But when we looked at their district-specific drivers, what we found was that was actually not a driver in their school district. So that district was about to make a significant financial investment in an area that may not have had the return that it would have if they understood their district drivers. And so that's where we kind of made that next step to realizing that district level is really important. Well, I know that each district is very specific, like you, like you said, um, but just kind of as an overall, can you give some ideas of what some of those drivers are just for folks who are listening? Sure. So some drivers at the state level, for instance, and that we see very consistently and probably the one we see the most across all districts, or at least across the highest number of districts, is the society's view of the teaching profession. So the view that educators feel like society isn't valuing them uh, and their, their view is negative about what they're trying to do in their work. And what we found was at the state level, that was a third of a point lower on our five-point Likert scale than any other factor. Um, but we also see that idea of securing a substitute is one we see a lot. Um, but we also found that, and research shows us this, but it's reinforced, is the principle is extremely important. So all five questions we asked about the principal on the survey, all five of them were drivers of engagement and retention. It's that relationship piece, right? Absolutely. With, with the with the principal as well. Um, so knowing that those are some of the the overall trends that you're seeing in districts, um, are there specific drivers 
that you're seeing regionally or or again is it is it pretty much unique to the district um it really is unique to the district when we look even in specific regions in our state whether we look at urban districts or rural districts um there's not as much consistency by geography or by location um and even by size in some cases but one of the things that we do see that is consistent also is that when we think about engagement and we think about the questions we ask around engagement, that idea of my voice and opinion is valued is a question that educators point to as being an area that they really feel like could improve. And that is making sure their voice is heard. And in some ways, gathering information from them through the approach we use is trying to highlight that voice when it comes to decisions that are being made. So you mentioned a district before that was about to invest some some money um, in something that maybe would not have seen the return on investment. That makes me think about how we saw a lot. Um, in, it was a very popular selling point or key messaging tactic over the past few years that districts are offering signing bonuses for new employees. And that's kind of an attempt to turn the tide in the teacher workforce shortage. Um, is that something that you're seeing districts do or maybe perhaps misplace some funds in as far as, I don't want to say misplace, but sure. put them where maybe the ROI isn't going to be as um, as impactful? Or what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So part of the reason when we started our work, we were looking across the state and seeing a lot of focus on recruitment, right? The idea that there were pathways that were being developed to get teachers or students that might choose education and help them do that. Um, recruitment in terms of offering signing bonuses or other incentives to sign on. Um, and one of the things that I know um, we also look at is how incentives that are transactional or money-based money might be different than transformational, which you mentioned actually earlier, are relationship-based or are not necessarily based on money. And so a lot of times what you see is, while you'll get a good bump on that initial um, bonus, it quickly can kind of go away because it's a, that one-time piece and, and it gets people hooked, but it maybe doesn't sustain as long as some of the relationship pieces or their relationship with their colleagues or with their principal that, that sustain over time. So as you're finding, finding these things and um, noting them for districts, I guess, Take us through the process of, of what that looks like when you're when they're engaging with Epic, right? They're they're finding these things out in the district. How are you going about doing that? And then how do you how do you synthesize that for the district and help them make that in, into something actionable? Sure. So what we do is we collect data, obviously, from their teachers. And a lot of times in Kansas, the way we've approached it is it's done on a statewide level. And districts that participate and get a number of teachers to participate, a certain number, they're able to get some base information, which tells them kind of what's the engagement um, picture right now of all of your educators. What are their intentions for the future? What percentage of them are retiring in the next three years? What percentage are saying they're likely to leave the profession or change districts? So they can kind of see what are our teachers thinking about their future? And then we have 34 areas that we look at for satisfaction, which are those principal questions, the question about salary or benefits. And we run an analysis so that we can find the statistical drivers by running an analysis that looks at both engagement and retention 
and lays that over to figure out what are those drivers that are specific to whatever sample we're looking at. So is it Kansans as a whole, or is it specifically district USD 202 or whatever that might be, right? And then we're able to provide that to them and give them a place to start and where to focus as they're making efforts to try to improve that retention um, and engagement and then be able to track it over time. And you mentioned transactional versus transformational. Um, how, how does that show itself in the data? And, and how are you able to, um, I guess, share that with, with districts? So an example would be these, these ideas of transactional versus transformational really is something that works across the board in any sector. And the idea is, what are those things that um, go to a escalate, what we call escalating zero point? So I make a certain amount of money and five years later, I'm doing the same job. Maybe I've gotten a tiny raise or I'm making the same amount of money, but I'm like, wow, I should be making a lot more money. So no matter what you make, you're always thinking I need to make more where there are things that transformational items like relationships or the quality of professional development or things of that nature that don't reset as quickly. And so an example would be in a transformational area. The reason it comes down in some ways to investments and dollars, in some cases for districts, where we can help them is to say, look, this is a driver of engagement in your district, and it's low satisfaction right now, and it's the quality of your professional development. You're really investing money in professional development. You can focus on what is it we're not, what needs are we not meeting, talk further to your staff, try to improve that area. It's not going to cost you any more money because you're already investing money in professional development, but you're, there's a lot of meat on the bone for you to make a huge improvement here that can impact your overall engagement. While these areas are going to take more of a financial investment and try to help them with not only which ones will be financial investments, which ones won't, but also that are short-term and long-term goals. Because sometimes it's going to take a while to get where you want to be with a salary, but there are things you can do right now and also making sure that your teachers understand you're listening and you're doing things based on what they're telling you. And that is half the battle. Our educators knowing oh, yeah. that someone's listening to them. Absolutely. And it sounds like it's you're able to show them sort of a forecast, right? Saying here right. are the things you can do right now to get the most bang for your buck or, or perhaps no money at all uh, in those transformational changes. Um, and, and then mapping out the future of what maybe you could be looking at doing. Um, as you continue to listen to your constituents, basically. Awesome. Um, so I know we're going to be diving into more detail with this um, with Luke in our next episode, but you talked about decision-making factors. Can you touch on any trends that Epic has seen in those decision-making factors among Gen Z professionals specifically? Because I know there's a lot of generational differences and some drivers there. Right. Well, as you can imagine, things like educational incentives or money to help pay for college or pay off loans, that's obviously something that with that generation really stands out because of the cost of um, college going up and because of their ability to handle that type of debt as they get started in their career. Um, but I think the other piece that we notice is that Gen Z seems to not see the incentives that are offered to teachers as necessarily applying to them and where they are. So an example would be, let's say a district provides a financial benefit when someone retires if they have a bank of sick days that they didn't use. 
Um, and so for every sick day, you can get X amount of dollars when you retire. Well, if you're a Gen Z uh, educator, data tells you that you're going to change professions possibly a couple times, let alone where you're teaching <laughs> before you retire. And so to them, there's no benefit to not using their days because the incentive that's there doesn't really address what they're looking for, while it does maybe uh, teachers of generations that are a little bit closer to retirement. So one thing that's general is districts looking at and encourage them to look at the incentives that are in place and how they affect different generations of educators and what it is they're wanting and looking for. Um, very seldom are, are Gen Z educators going to start in a district and teach there for 35 to 40 years and retire and never go anywhere. What are some of those incentives that you're seeing um, utilized, you know, really strategically in districts to, to address things like this, make generational differences? So even though it may not be as much of a financial um, benefit, for instance, if it costs a district, just to make it simple, $100 to get a substitute, we see some districts saying, listen, if you have X number of leave days left at the end of the year, we'll pay you two thirds or three quarters of what we would pay a sub at the end of the year up to this many days. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you're, an, you know, if you're a, a Gen Z educator, that might be four or 500 bucks at the end of the year. And that might be something that you can use to take a, you know, to get away for a weekend or to be able to do those things. And that's an incentive where you don't necessarily take away the option of retirement, but you're looking at a way to also incentivize them not taking their days during the school year and using it in a way to, and it's still saving you money because you're not paying a sub, you'd be paying them more and it's hard to find subs anyway. So that's just a way where it's kind of a multiple places where you can kind of win as a district, taking that that desire of the Gen Z generation into account. And that's a cool idea because I that speaks to, I don't I mean, I don't know if I am technically part of Gen Z. I don't really know what generation I belong to. Um, but the the idea of really appreciating and um, using your time off and and valuing um, that work life balance, I'm seeing you know the younger generations are are valuing that more and more. So that's a cool way to say, hey, you know you you've earned this and you deserve this time, but like maybe think of it in a different way. Right. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, yeah. So are there other uh, trends that you're seeing, maybe not in specific Gen Z uh, or maybe other generations uh, that, that you can that you can touch on about uh, decision making factors? Yeah, I think that um, relationship with colleagues is something that we see is really important across generations that I think sometimes we underestimate the value of people having that connection with their colleagues. Um, there's a, an old saying, you know, you don't quit your job, you quit your boss. Well, we're looking more and more at the fact that sometimes you're not quitting your boss, you're quitting your colleagues. And so a practice might be that in some places, um, a new educator coming into a district may be hired and not even know the people they're going to be working with, who's going to be on their team. And then they arrive and they show up and they feel like maybe I don't fit very well here. And because people are more willing to change jobs and they're more mobile, they may not stay. They may decide to start looking for a job. Maybe somebody that they knew before has got an open position in their district on their team. And so what we find is anytime you can give educators that are coming into your district 
a chance to know who it is they're going to be working with and meet those people and get a feel for them before they're actually hired can actually pay long-term because you don't see those people then immediately leaving a year or two later. So how does that translate into actionable recommendations? I'm thinking, is it like onboarding recommendations and, and things like that for districts? Yeah. So what we try to do is when we work with districts, we'll try to give them the example, for instance, that this is a driver in your district relationship with colleagues. And then we use that as an entry point to talk to districts about what are your practices in terms of onboarding? What is the interview process? How exposed are teachers when they come to your district and take a job to who they're going to be working with? And being able to do that, because in some places, maybe that's something they're already doing, but in other places it may not. So we're trying not only to give them district insights that are specific to their teachers, but then we're also trying to help them take the steps necessary in those areas that are drivers to be able to go forward and look at their current practices and how they may fit or not fit with what we're learning. I love to kind of flesh that out a little bit more because I know that you offer um, expertise that is, you know, above and beyond. Um, but just just to hear a little bit more about about what it is you're sharing with districts when you get that question. Sure. So a lot of times, what we're doing is not only looking at current practice, but also saying to them, okay, so what you're telling me is you've made a huge investment in. Um, insurance, to make insurance um, more affordable and to pay for a single plan or whatever that might be. But the data is saying that teachers still don't, that teachers still see it as low satisfaction. So a lot of times they're like, how can this be? We've made this huge investment in this piece. And our message is, do teachers understand that you've made this investment? Do they understand that you paying for a single plan is not, that it is very unique, that not everybody does that? You know, if it's professional development, let us talk to you about how to do focus groups in a way where you can hear from them. What about professional development is not meeting your needs? And so kind of that next step, depending on what those items are, so they can get more specific information from the voice of their educators. And, and that kind of speaks to what we do is also helping them understand like where where their white space is, what they can own and what maybe they need to to improve and then what sets them apart like you're saying is like hey maybe we are investing in this way that is way different than the, the district down the road or um our competitor and let's use that to position ourselves in the position of strength for our recruitment and retention and i think that that's a molly that's a great point because one of the things we tend to talk a lot about with what we give districts is what are those low satisfaction items that are driving but we also provide them with their moderate and high satisfaction items that are drivers. So your high satisfaction items that are drivers, those are the things you want to be using to your advantage when you're recruiting and saying to people, hey, we know from our teachers that this is an area that they're really happy about. Like they really have give our principals high marks and their relationship with their principal is really strong because then you're recruiting people with things that you know are high satisfaction, but they're also really important in your district. And so, you know, we talk a lot about the areas to improve, but we can also leverage the areas that are really going well. But we know for sure that these are those areas because we run that statistical analysis and are able to give them that. And that's really that part that's happening in other sec sectors that we're bringing to education. And it also sounds like, too, I mean, there are a lot of things in education and perhaps um, in, just, in just speaking about human resources and retention recruitment, 
there are some things we, we think we know and we can probably generalize, say like, this is working for our district, this is working, this is satisfying to our staff, but having that statistical data to back it up makes it right. an even stronger selling point. Right, because you you know in that case, especially we have a lot of districts that when they take the survey, they're getting 90 to 100% um, participation, right? So it's not just, oh, we heard back from these people and they all said this. When you're starting to get really high response rates and engaging teachers and saying, we want to hear from you and seeing a wide breadth of your educators, you can not only can we say to you, we're more statistically confident, but you can feel more confident because you know you're hearing from almost everyone versus something that is sent out and gets 15% of the people respond. Right. Um, and that's important because I know um, from, from my previous work in a school district, there is a tendency for uh, staff and, um, and students even um, getting over surveyed in, in schools. So I think, you know, being able to, to work with, with someone who is cognizant of that and then also crafting it in a way and having that buy-in from the leadership level saying this is something that's going to set us apart, um, that's really important. And when we have people ask us, how did you get 50% of educators in Kansas to take this survey? That's such a high number. Um, our response is that we gave best practices to districts and said, hey, if you give your teachers time, this takes 10 minutes, right? If you give them 15 minutes at a faculty meeting or a PD day, or when they come back from lunch at a, at a PD day, you, we saw one of the largest districts in our state go from 1% to 93% in about an hour just because wow. they gave teachers time. And what teachers tell us is we're happy to fill it out, but we need time to do it because we have so many other things on our plate. Right. It's like making that space for it. Right. Um, and you, you, had, we, you touched on recruitment. We talked about retention. Um, Retention seems to be the buzzword replacing recruitment for a while, but uh, I know that when you and I spoke last, uh, you mentioned really the importance of engagement, and and you touched on that a little bit earlier in our conversation. Can you speak right. to that and the difference a little bit? Sure. So engagement is really the lead measure of retention. So our questions around engagement, that section that gives us an insight into engagement, the questions all relate all of our survey questions relate to four questions. And those four questions are, am I heard? Am I growing? Am I connected? And am I motivated? And because we know that employees that have can say yes to that, my voice is heard. I feel like I'm growing. I'm connected to people that I work with. I'm motivated to do a good job. Not only are they more likely to stay, but Gallup research shows that engaged teachers get better student performance on district outcomes, that um, teachers that are engaged are much more likely to stay, and those that are disengaged are much more likely to leave. Uh, and also, just something like attendance. Disengaged employees are a lot more likely to not come to work or to miss more days than those that are engaged. So it's not just we want people to feel that way. We actually know in terms of the outcomes we're trying to impact, like keeping more people in education, these are key parts of being able to do that. Okay, so you used a keyword there, um, lead measures. Can you explain that a little bit? Um, like, And also, what's the value of looking at a lead measure instead of another kind of measure I've heard you talk about? Sure. So 
And this is, uh, you know, a lot of times in business, they talk about lead measures and lag measures. So lead measures are the things, like the best example I've ever heard is, you know, hospitals used to track secondary infections because nobody wants to go to the hospital to get better and end up getting sick. Right. And so they would always track how many secondary infections did we have this year over and over and over. And it, you know, some years were a little bit better, some were worse, but nothing really changed. But the lead measure that we found and everyone recognizes now is hand washing. If you wash your hands, right? If we focus on hand washing, we reduce the number of secondary infections. And so the focus became, but let's make sure everybody's washing their hands and we're reducing the likelihood of secondary infections. And once we focused on lead measures in hospitals that way, then what they were trying to improve, which was secondary infections, actually came down. And so what we're saying is if we focus on engaging or engagement of our employees as the lead measure, they're going to feel good about coming to work. They're going to give their best effort. They're going to feel like they're making a difference and that will keep them in the profession or in the district. The reason that sometimes the lag measure of just retention doesn't work is there are things that are out of our control sometimes that have nothing to do about the job and people leave. If you have to take care of a sick parent in another state or a spouse gets a great opportunity for a job advancement somewhere else. It's not that they don't like their job, but something has come up. Well, that still counts as we didn't retain that employee, the same as the person who left because they were unhappy. So that measure sometimes is a little bit faulty because we can't control for all the variables. Um, I actually once heard someone say that lag measures, they called them, oh crap or oh cool measures because <laughs> When you look at the data, you either go, oh, crap, or oh, cool. But either way, it's too late to do anything about it, right? And so we're trying to get be more proactive by looking at those lead measures and doing things about it on the front end and making those investments versus just tracking it kind of when it's too late. Like, what is in my circle of control? What can we actually right. do? Right. That's awesome. And if we do these things, we're likely to see the thing that we really care about, which is keeping our teachers improved by focusing on their experience and making their experience better versus just hoping that, you know, at the end of the year, we don't lose more than we lost last year. What are some drivers of lead measures that you can speak to a little bit further? So one of them is um, when we talked earlier about one of the lower areas in terms of lead measures is that question of my voice and opinion are valued, right? But other ones are, uh, one of the strongest one is, I have someone at work that cares about me, right? That's something that's pretty strong when we look at our engagement, right? And that I have someone at work that cares about me, that's a, am I connected, right? I have someone at work that I feel like cares about me. Um, and, and the questions that we ask in that area are really similar to the types of engagement questions you'd ask in any sector or any industry, right? Um, I get, you know, I have an opportunity to grow, like individual growth. It doesn't matter if you're in education or you're in another sector, people want to see that they're growing and they get a chance to develop their skills. And so these are less education focused and they're more tied to engagement in any job. And so in education that, you know, someone at work cares about me, you know, what I do gives me a sense of value you know, the opportunity to receive feedback so that I can improve, you know, those types of things we see pretty positive. 
And like I said, it's that, you know, someone hears me or, you know, when I share how I'm doing, am I getting, do I see things change? My voice and opinion are valued. All those things kind of tie to that. And that was the one that was the, the lowest in terms of the questions that were more specifically to those four areas. And it's it's no it's no surprise or it shouldn't be a surprise that the, that those connected pieces, you know, I feel connected and I feel cared for um, show up because that's the same thing that we're seeing with students, you know, when their attendance rates are impacted by how well they're um, feeling connected in their schools. I mean, among other things, but that that is something right. I know that we've seen in in data show that the, the connections are key and relationships are key. So um, absolutely. On that note, I want to know how you would, you know, fix the world. We end every podcast with the same question. Uh, if you could wave a magic wand, what is one thing you would fix in education? So I think these two are are tied together. So maybe it's like if I could wave a magic wand, I had two wishes, but the wishes were connected. No, um, I see this what is what doing. I would say. <laughs> so so like it's the thing of if you have one, you know, one free wishes or one wish, you'd ask for more wishes. Mm -hmm. um, so being from Kansas, many people know, you know, they always associate the Wizard of Oz. Right. And so I guess in some ways, you know, we think about the lion and he was looking for courage. I think that um, the first thing we have to do and being that my background is in education, I've been an educator, I've been an administrator. You know, I talk a lot when I say we I've been in that space is having the courage to listen to what educators are telling us, right? Because sometimes it doesn't feel the best because we're trying to do the best we can. But sometimes it's like, do I, oh, this doesn't look so good in this area or that area. Do I really want to share that with, you know, the teachers? Do I want to share it with my board? Do I really want to share it with my community? But the courage to I think sometimes the reason that's hard is because we don't feel like we're not sure what we can do about it. But I think the courage is to say, you know, this exists whether whether we know it or not. Like these are the views and how people are feeling. We can do something about it and make sure we're focused in the right areas if we have the courage to go ahead and take the next step, get this information, but then figure out what to do about it and be able to point to our educators and say, hey, this is what we heard from you. This is what we're doing. Because ultimately, there's no one who doesn't, you know, who has all the money in the world that they want to be able to educate their students or pay their teachers or whatever. But we do have the opportunity to make sure that the dollars we're spending and where we're investing those are going to the right place. Because ultimately, having an impact with the dollars we do have is also important. And so I think it's that, um, because this is kind of different for educators, it's embracing that, you know, administrators and boards, break, embracing that and saying, listen, we want to hear from our teachers and no matter what it says, we're going to try to figure out what to do about it and take action to try to be proactive and to be able to do everything we can to keep our educators in the profession. So that, that would be my magic wand, two or three or how many wishes have came up there. <laughs> Well, I think we would grant you the extra wish if if that if thank that's going to be the <laughs> the case. Awesome. Well, Brett, thank you so much for your time today. If our audience members would want to connect with you, where can they find you? Um, well, um, they can email me at brett.church at edu edu epic dot com. 
Um, and they can also follow me on Twitter um, at Doc Brett Church. So D-O-C-B-R-E-T-C-H-U-R-C-H. Perfect. And we can link those in the show notes and as well as information for Epic. Great. Be sure to stay tuned for our second episode in this series, where Dr. Luke Simmering of Epic will dive deeper into how school districts can pinpoint those risk factors we were talking about and predict turnover, how generational differences impact the type of incentives employees are seeking, and more. Brett, thanks again. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thanks so much, Molly.